You're listening to Sports Radio Detroit. Get the scoop on Tigers today. Listening to Tigers SRD on SportsRadioDetroit.com. Welcome to another episode of Tigers SRD here on SportsRadioDetroit.com, powered by the Overtime Media Network. I'm Roger Castillo, Roger Castillo alongside me, Chris Brown. So I forgot my name there for a quick minute. I had uh, until about an hour ago, Chris. I probably had one of the worst migraines out there, and it was one of those where I had to put the ice pack on my head. And the uh, I have a a couple prescriptions for migraines. I get them really bad since uh, uh, two concussions, one in high school and one most recently. So it's just like always come up and sucks. But uh, I'm amazed you're able to rally from that at all. Most people I know who get migraines are just down for the count, you know? Yeah, no, that's impressive. No, it's, it was uh, at work. Like I left a little early today and I just couldn't, I I nap. Like if I take a nap, it it becomes less tolerable. It becomes more tolerable. So it's, if I don't nap, then I'm just like, I'm out for the count. But uh, plenty to get to tonight. We'll be talking Sestros of Twins Daily as we talk the Twins 2019 outlook. As in, the Indians are projected to win the Central, but I think the Twins are going to make it interesting. We'll talk some prospects as well. Michael Fulmer and the inverted W and the controversy behind that. Uh, we'll talk the Fun Cup, Le Copas Le Divisiones, which is the minor league thing, which I think we'll kick off the show with. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later. And it's an extension city across the major leagues. So uh, but let's kick things off with the impressive start today by Spencer Chobel as he is pretty much trying to lock up a, a spot in the rotations between him and Daniel Norris as uh, he struck out seven over five scoreless innings. His Tigers win three to one over Philly. And he, it was against, it was, you know, it really was against the prime of the lineup. So he struck out. <clears throat> he struck out some good, you know. He struck out some good players. He, he throws JT Romato earlier on a fastball. Um, he, his slider was doing pretty well, and uh, he scattered. He just allowed three hits. He walked only one, so um, he only faced one batter over the middle, and that and that's a good thing. You and I have talked about where he was going to be in terms of like uh, out of the bullpen or the rotation, and I know you said that. Rotate like the, the Tigers were having a rotation based off the depth purposes, and with Michael Fulmer's injury being now the case, unfortunately, why he's stepping in. But Chris, I think I think Turnbull, like I said, I mean, we we said this last year with the slider, his off-speed stuff, good location. He's got some good movement all over the board, and and today just kind of perhaps solidifies his spot of the rotation. Yeah, I mean, I would think uh, his performance this spring, if it's based, going to be based on that, you would think that, that uh, yeah, he's certainly outperformed Daniel Norris. Uh, I've kind of gone back and forth about, like, who they should actually have put in the starting rotation just based on, like, hey, we got to find out what we have here. In reality, I mean, it should be both of them. They should just put both of them in there and bump Matt Moore to the, the bullpen or something. But uh, it's not like Turnbull is young. He's actually six months older than Michael Fulmer. So it's, uh, you know, it, he's, he's about the, the far edge of, of age for a prospect. So as, as much as I'd like, I, th- I think he could be like a real weapon in the bullpen. I, I also think he might be a competent uh, to solid starter. So just put him out there. I don't, I, you know, 
let him go out there and, and prove it uh, one way or the other. If he can't do it, throw him in the bullpen. If he can, then good uh, good on you. And, you know, I, I've discussed many times about, like, you know, I, I think Norris is probably a better fit for the bullpen, but they might as well keep starting him, too, just to see, just to make sure. But uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, it would be kind of like the Tigers to send Turnbull to start down in Toledo and have Norris up here for reasons that no one can explain. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, too, Chris, if you look at the way that the rotation has built up a little bit, too, across the board with even players that could come up from Toledo, Kyle Funkhauser goes back to minor league camp. It looks like he's going to be coming out of the bullpen. So I don't know if he's going to be – he's probably going to be starting the minors, I'm assuming, but he looks – the yeah. Tigers use him exclusively out of the bullpen towards the last part of the week, or part of uh, spring training. His fastball was hit ninety six, ninety seven, in some in, in some uh, radar guns. But uh, honestly, you really have to look at where. I mean, if Ryan Carpenter right now, who got sent down, is your backup as a backup starter at this point. So it's desperate times call for desperate situations, I guess. But uh, honestly. Why not put those two in the rotation and see what you got from there? Because, I mean, if, if, as far as I'm concerned, if Mike Moore or Tyson Ross pitch, you know, decently, they're already gone halfway through the season. Yeah, I, I, I find – I think it's a possibility with the, with Ross. I don't see it happening with Matt Moore. But, who not, you know, crazy things can happen. He's been okay in spring. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It – it, it still feels like the, the Tigers are just trying to get all the guys they consider prospects to come up at the exact same time. And so they're just going to wait on Turnbull until he's collecting a pension and uh, then see so you can go with him. But uh, I think it's time to just let him go out there, see what you got. And, and you know, the depth in AAA will take a small hit for a while. Like you said, it's going to be Ryan Carpenter and then like Tyler Alexander, but uh, in, in that, you know, I think Funkhauser is a reliever. I think one of his big issues seems to be carrying his command over after sitting down, you know, between innings. He he can have a decent inning and then come back and just seems to lose it. Um, but you can get away in a season like this. You can get away with having him start a couple games, uh, and then by the midseason, you could you could theoretically have Bo Burrows or. Hell, even Matt Manning or Casey Mize or any of those guys, if you are in desperate need of a starter, you can take a look at them. You'd have to make a 40-man move, but whatever. So and I wouldn't worry about the, the depth too much at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, no, you're right, especially because it's just right now we talked about this early, We talked about this last week about Toledo setting, some, setting themselves up for a good season, but the rotation, I, you know, for Triple A, perhaps it's a it's a good one, but still, nevertheless, I mean, the Michael Fulmer injury does. You have to see really what it's going to step up from out of Erie a little bit, especially if Frank Perez is not healthy, which he hasn't been. Then is it going to be Manning that gets the call first versus Casey Mize? But it's it's just a matter of time before they have to break the glass and use one of those pitchers from Erie because I know they they're kind of hesitant and. It was interesting. I thought I would get something out of David Littlefield when he was on, on Sunday with uh, the guys from Fox Sports, Matt Shepard and Kirk Gibson, mm-hmm. but it was, he was in there for a half inning and made some faces, and uh, you're, uh, 
your analogy that we had in our DMs, which we'll, you know, we won't discuss pub- publicly, was uh, pretty good. But uh, he didn't really give any kind of, I don't, you know, didn't indication or anything. So, yeah. Well, I mean, this is the world that we live in, where there's uh, no information given out, really, and uh, that's just kind of what we're dealing with. But, you know, and, and what you could also see is uh, the Tigers are kind of. They aren't terribly innovative. We, we we know that, but they don't seem to be afraid to copy other people. So I think they've come out and said, like, "Hey, we're not the end of this bullpenning thing." But I, I don't think the Rays kind of planned on going all in on it last year, and then circumstances kind of forced forced their hand when like four other pitchers went down with Tommy John surgery. So we could see something like that, and you know, don't forget about like Blaine Hardy. They could always tap him to rescue the season again. So, yeah, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, Blaine Hardy, yeah, you saw last year, some of those change-ups and curveballs were going 65, 7 miles an hour. I remember starting against Oakland where it was just, it was just an old-fashioned, uh, you know, yellow hammer, as I quote Jim Price. But, it, I mean, it just it was just it was getting swings and misses off it. But uh, position battles, let's talk position battles real quick, Chris. Is, uh, it looks like you can base it off the tea leaves based off of what Chris Mikowski writes perhaps about uh, – the players and, and Gordon Beckham is making a case to make the ball club, and you know he's he started off kind of rough. He's been coming on over the spring, but uh, now that down, I think the roster's down to thirty-two at the moment. So I, I don't know, Chris. I mean, is in terms of what's left, what's left here, and what position battle wise, it's been you have a battle between Beckham and. There is just among some of the players that left in camp that I mean, you, uh, was it Castro, Peter Cosma, and uh, was it the I think it's um, uh, Bullock's uh, was it Sanchez? I think that was uh, sent back down. Uh, it was yeah, catcher Hector Sanchez that will be going on at Toledo. But uh, so right now, I mean, you have seven players left to fight for twenty that twenty five spots. But uh, honestly, Chris, did we think? I mean, in did you expect Beckham to be carried in so far this far? I mean, he's he's been bad pretty well, and I saw some of the stats he had last year in Tacoma when he was in Seattle, and it seemed like his hitting game has been turned around a little bit. Yeah, I didn't uh, – yeah, I didn't – because it was such a, like, just random signing, I didn't expect much of it. I thought there was, like, a, just a last chance. Then I uh, learned that he's, like, his brother-in-law or something like uncle is the, one of the Tigers minor league – Hitting instructor. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, he's going to make the team then because that's how this organization works. Um, I thought there was no more so, nepotism, Chris. I thought there was no nepotism. No, of course not. Uh, but anyway, well, who is it? Is it down, it's basically down to him and Ronnie Rodriguez. Did they send Brandon Dixon down? I don't, I don't remember. I don't think. I didn't see Dixon go down as of yet. Uh, who they They sent down Peterson. So, yeah, I mean, I suppose if it's – I want to make sure, but uh, – yeah, I'm tra- I'm yeah I, did, right. I definitely didn't Check him right expect now, him to last this long. I, I thought they kind of, uh, you know, thought he was going to compete second base, and then they brought in Harrison. So it was like, well, all right. And now they're they're trying to – he played shortstop, I think, at Georgia in college. But I, he hasn't done a whole lot of shortstop in pro ball, and I don't know if he can really pull it off. But, uh, you know, teams are doing that. You know, good teams are doing that with, with shortstops who don't have great range but can hit. Uh some teams are doing it with shortstops who don't have great range and can't hit, but uh, those teams will remain nameless. 
<laughs> well, let me ask you this. I mean, I, we did see earlier in the week that uh, uh, Jose Fernandez was sent down. And uh, while it doesn't surprise me, I guess, because he, he needs to go out there and pitch more, quote-unquote, uh, but you did see still the the Houston arm that was uh, who got the save tape for the uh, for the Tigers. Um, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now. Uh, they signed off the Astros uh, scrap heap. Is it Cisnero? Cisnero got the save today, but you know, I guess I guess Trump, Daniel Schrumpf is going to get the spot again, which kind of whatever. I don't understand that, but uh, he had a really good outing, I think. Yesterday, two days ago, it was like two scoreless with like four or five strikeouts. Was it Sunday's? Uh, was it, I think it was Sunday's game, wasn't it? Maybe. Yeah, it, was, it may have been Monday. Monday, Monday. or two? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But he was out there. Um, no, I think it's one of those things where I think they're familiar with Stump a little bit more, and they liked what he did last year, and they they're not going to lose Fernandez or anything, so they can put him in Toledo for now, and, and I'm sure he'll be up over the course of the year. Always happens with lefty relievers. It is encouraging, though, however, to see something the Tigers were able to get from Scrap Heap. Again, it's understandable. It's it's spring training, so maybe I like to see what it does in the first month of the season, Toledo, before we can actually you know claim it as wow, this is, or even what he does here if he gets called up, which we know he will. I mean, I think Tiger mm-hmm. lefties are going to be shuttled up the most this season. So, um, but. Uh, you know, it's encouraging to see Daz Cameron, who had a really good spring uh, coming out there. So, either way, you can't, I mean, it, it, to have that kind of spring he did, which was 9 for 25 with uh, batting 360, and uh, it's encouraging. So, either way, move on. And even, it was funny, the, the debate about uh, Victor Reyes among Tiger fans on Twitter, too, whether he was going to look like an outfielder despite his 4 for 28 um, <laughs> <laughs> spring. Is debatable and and there's like it's it's funny too because some of the there's I think there's I've come to realize that there's two schools of thought with Tiger's Twitter. There's the realistic expectations of people who are that I think they're realistic about it. I think I, you and I will fall in that category. Then there's the rosy optimism that others fall into, and there's no middle ground, none. And it gets so nasty between the two sides that it, it doesn't. There's no compromise about it, and it, it cracks me up because if people are just pointing out facts, they're like, no, 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 no. I mean, especially with Victor Reyes, like just or there, there's cameras installed across the ballpark. Doesn't mean jack shit if there's no history behind it, and that that bothers me to no to no end. That look, people, here's a premise for you. The last 30 years among scouting in this department has not been stellar. So are you going to tell me, because they put cameras in, you're going to buy the PR hype, that all of a sudden I'm supposed to believe that? Get the fuck out of here. Until I see some progress five years from now, calm it down and be realistic about it. And I don't understand why people are getting shit for being realistic about it and pointing out facts. Sorry, I've just that was something I've been, it's been, I've been holding in for a couple of days now, but it was really, really bothering me. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, realistic fans view this front office as, I, I, I think some of us 
are still willing to to wait and see what happens. Yeah. But we don't have a great feeling about what we've seen so far, and and we aren't buying into the advances they've made because they're they're advances that uh, other teams made five six years ago. And it's and and it's it's not like the Tigers will come out and say, "Here's what we're doing that's cutting edge that nobody else is doing." But we also haven't we just haven't seen any signs of of, of anything particularly, you know, like oh. Uh, they pulled a, a bunch of guys out of nowhere last year, and they're all walking and hitting for power. And, and like there was Nico Goodrum, that was fine, but that didn't strike me as some sort of like crazy analytics find. And, and they don't have a particular profile among their their kind of pitching that they've been targeting and using. So I don't know. And one of the things we talked about this in our chat before, and, and I mentioned it to other people. And at Fangraphs, they have. Uh, they, they, they let you sort their top prospects by spin rate now. And they're just kind of ballpark estimates. You know, everybody's like, you know, 2,300 or 2,350 or something like that. Uh, but you can see, you know, top 100 pitching prospects, their spin rates. And one of the really interesting things to me is uh, when you look at Matt Manning, his spin rate is, is pretty much average. It was maybe slightly above average. Uh, and he was taken, what, ninth overall in 2016, I think it was? Yeah, correct. Then, then you see uh, Force Whitley, who was taken nine, ten picks later, or eight picks later, something like that, with just top-of-the-scale fastball spin right, breaking ball spin right. Uh, and he very quickly became one of the top pitching prospects in the game, if not the top pitching prospect. And then you see Dustin May, drafted by the Dodgers, like 100 picks after Manning, uh, who's also now in most... Uh, ranking systems ahead of Manning, even though he was picked you know, two rounds later, and you see his spin rate, and it's up there near the top two. And so you you just kind of put two and two together and go, okay, well, these two teams were already in on the spin rate stuff three, four years ago, if not longer, and the Tigers weren't probably. And, and we like Matt Manning. Matt Manning's got a lot of potential. He's a really good pitcher, but it's it's one of those things where um, you would think that, that – other teams would would have looked at his spin rate and stuff and go, oh, you know, it's it looks pretty good, but we'll see how effective it is, or they're skeptical about how effective it'll be. Still, don't really know. Obviously, he's just in Double A, but uh, yeah, it's just one of those those signs that the front office is well behind. And you could point to other things. We talk about Chad Green a ton of times, right? Where Tigers didn't really even view him as much of a prospect at all. He was a starter in Double A sitting in the low 90s, you know, touching 95 or whatever, and gets traded to the Yankees, and suddenly he becomes one of the best relievers in baseball, throwing the high 90s. Uh, and and then Cal Dowdy was a throw-in to the Indians. Just, uh, it's, he's similar, probably even lower ranked uh, in, in scouting circles than Chad Green was. And he goes to the Indians, and suddenly he's throwing in the upper 90s. And now he's on the Mets, I believe, but... Uh, and it's not like Kyle Dowdy's any great shakes yet, but it's you have to start wondering, like what, why are other teams able to take these guys? What is it about them? Do they have more advanced, you know, biomechanical programs that can help guys optimize their their deliveries? Uh, and I don't know. There's just kind of a, a mounting evidence that that's the case. That these other teams are legitimately that much farther ahead than the Tigers. And it's 
it's concerning. And like you said, until we see some proof that they're actually doing something and making this work, it's all just window dressing. Especially Kyle Downey. The, the, there's numbers there that there are some numbers. If you really, I mean, if you looked at the normal box score on a given night, perhaps not, but there was some indication there. And the Indians saw something. That's why they got him the requested for the trade. So, if to me, if there's a team like the Indians or a team that has advanced scouting asking for a player like that, it would make me the Tigers go, well, wait, well, okay, fine, ha, ha, ha. But then they're able to do that. But then when I saw the numbers earlier in this month in, in Mets camp, it's like, if the, if I don't know if the Mets are going to keep him as a Rule 5, but if he goes back to the, the, the Indians, you give another bullpen arm back there that's formidable that could that could potentially help him down the – I mean, Nail Central is essentially theirs, but still, they have that kind of firepower back there. But you're, you're right, Chris. The, uh, to me – it's it's looking at players what they do in the second and third and fourth and the later rounds that you mentioned Dustin May, the Tigers don't the Tigers don't get late round draft value and it's I mean outside of a few like you could talk about Curtis Granderson, you know we we made last week we made the Gabe Kapler reference everything, but that's that's <laughs> few and far in between and honestly for fans out there be optimistic be fine whatever if you want to the uh celebrate the new hashtag vote around which by the way is stupid i'm sorry what is it what is it it's i didn't mo- see it hashtag motor on motor on it looks like moron yeah. and jordan hall from podcastiano said or no no i think it was somebody on twitter said it looks like moron and it does yeah i mean but then again it's no, better than about right. <laughs> it's, it's better than the giants which was like s uh, you know hashtag s uh, sf giants or the red or the White Sox was hashtag White Sox. I, I, I think I remember that right. Well, but... let's see. Last year it was with Detroit Summers. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, what uh, the Motor City coming up with a good hashtag is? is I don't know. <laughs> That's a tough one. It, do, it does seem like sort of a thing where just people put a bunch of ideas in a hat and they go, "Well, it works for me." Whatever. Motor on. Okay. Here, keep on trucking. There Motor on. <laughs> What's your fight? Uh, what's your price? Who, was, who did that song? Oh, that's Sister Christian, Night Ranger. Or, Sister no, Christian sorry, by... Uh, the song Sister Christian by Night Ranger. That's 86. Night Ranger. Yeah. There you go. What a yeah. name. Yeah, 96, Night Ranger. That, yeah, that was a power... I think that was... No, was that? No, no, that was the power group. That He he ended up going to... Um, he, did a, he was in that power group with uh, uh, Tommy from uh, uh, Styx and Ted Egypt that did the song... Can you take me home? No, holy crap! Sorry for everybody out there that I might have blown their eardrums out with that. Um, oh God, what's that? Wasn't even that power group? There was a power group. It was a power group. It was uh, Ted Nugent, Tommy from uh, Sticks, and a dude from Night Ranger. And I can't remember the damn name uh, of that band off the top of my head. Terrible, terrible. Well, I mean, I guess it was one of the first '80s group super groups, like the Travel Wilburys with Tom Petty, Roy Orbison. Bob Dylan and the guy from ELO. Uh, Wait a minute. Uh, what's the name? Was it again? Damn Yankees? Damn Yankees. Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead. Yeah. Damn Yankees. Tommy Shaw sticks Jack Jack Blades. Jack Blades. That's a rock and roll name. Jack Blades. Yeah. Or like a like a Tom or a Wesley Snipes name in an action movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know what name this John like? Cutter. You know Agent so- Jack Blades. <laughs> You know what name it sounds like? It's the guy um sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger's character from uh, Last Action Hero, which I think was Jack, Jack something too, I think. Was it Slade? 
Jack Slee. I maybe. <laughs> I the clip of where he kicks the dude in the nuts. Oh, he says, "Hey, you want to be a farmer? Here's a couple of acres." It's just so ridiculous. It's absurd. Or like the but, uh, my favorite part of that movie is when he uses that answer, like that tape machine when his ex wife calls. He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah." I mean, that, you remember how much that, how big that movie bombed? Yeah, because I remember it was. Uh, I remember that. Bur- okay, so. The Burger King by my house had like the you could like, the last action hero cups. Remember when like mm-hmm. fast food places used to do the cups? Yeah. That, that um so I collected them all because I was like, oh man, I can't wait for this movie. Then I saw the movie, I was like, oh man, it sucked. <laughs> I just wanted the cups because it looked so cool. And I had a He Man, I had a good He Man collection too from the eighties. But uh, yeah, yeah that, that, that was that was very disappointing. Yeah, you know, I think it just wasn't what people... Jack Slater was his name. Okay. It just wasn't what people were expecting. I think people were expecting, like, an actual, like, hardcore action movie, and it was really kind of making fun of action movies. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but what are you going to do? Yeah. So we, we Directed killed... by uh, the director of Die Hard and, uh, and uh, Hunt for Red October. Oh, really? Wow. John yeah. McTiernan. Who, by the way, they were making Die Hard to make. You know what's funny about that too? And we just did over under episode, over under fair episode of the podcast. You can find our network on sportsradiodetroit.com. Shameless plug. John Tieran mm-hmm. actually directed uh, Die Hard to be a mockery, to be an actual mockery of action movies like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. So that's kind of funny that he actually got his way with Last Action Hero. So the yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, either way, um, but yeah, the oh yeah, and the ice cream cone uh, when the. Uh, bomb goes off and kills somebody in the back of the head. That was always, uh, was always a treat. <laughs> Literally, huh? <laughs> that's bad, bad pun. But uh, anywho, moving on. Speaking of treats, by the way, uh, what is going on in baseball right now? For the second year in a row, and and really, really dig this. It's a, it's a really cool concept, and it's getting to me um, people involved in baseball more who are, are in, in a way like just if you're not a baseball fan. And you're going to a minor league game, and you want to see a little bit of different perspective on a different logo or a different team, if you will. It is the Copa de la División, the the Fun Cup, uh, if you will, and that's starting off again this year. It's the second year in a row. This time, you're going to see a lot more of a influence for the Tigers involved in terms of. And hope and hope the MLB gets uh, involved with this too, where ti- or actual major league teams change their. Uh, jerseys for a day or their logos for a day and I'm sure they'll probably make some a killing off that uh, but uh, it's a Spanish so for anybody out there who lives under a mushroom uh, it is the where I'm, you know there's minor league teams that will change their logos and change their gear for a weekend or a couple days depending on what it is and this year the Seawolves and West Michigan Whitecaps will be participating for the first time and there's other logos we really like. So Chris and I were discussing beforehand what logos were our favorites, and here we go. Some, I mean, we'll start with the uh, Arkansas, the uh, the Diamantes, the Arkansas, which is the Travelers. Mm-hmm. That was okay. I actually liked that one. The uh, Chesapeake, or the this is here we go. Bacangores Fantasmas de Chesapeake which is the Bowie Bay Sox, um, which is pretty much the translation is Atlantic Ghost Crab. So um, that one was, that one, that actually reminded me of Super Mario Brothers. Remember that little red uh, crab? 
and the Super Mario yeah. Brothers. Yeah, what kind of looks like that? Um, Is that Super Mario Brothers two? No, that was the, the original one where Mario and Luigi in the tunnels. Remember, it was like the arcade, like you had to hit the huh. cow and clear all the enemies. Oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was the that actual. One. Yeah. yeah, gotcha. Uh, the Barrington uh, Barbagones, which is just you know another way of saying Blackbeards, which is the uh, Brayton Marauders single A affiliate. Chris, is, I think Chris, you like this one a lot. The Brooklyn Hefes. Yeah. The bosses. I kind of. I'm, the ones I like kind of split into three categories. The kind of the, the stereotypical categories I like, like the the Brooklyn Hefes, the bosses, and then the Fresno Lowriders. Like just lean into it, and then the margaritas I thought was pretty fun, and and uh, the pinatas, the up Erie, That was uh, I like that a lot. But then I also like some of the, uh, the the you know like the Day of the Dead is a big thing, and there are a lot of uh, kind of spooky looking. Uh, Mascots like the, uh, what is it? The, well, the the West Michigan one has kind of a Day of the Dead theme, doesn't it? The Cal- Calaveras Day, West Michigan. Yeah, the West Michigan one's probably honestly, and and I've already gonna, I already ordered the hat. Well, I'm, well, I've ordered the hat already, and it's probably gonna like honestly the the West Michigan one is probably my favorite. Um, it would be let's see, I'm looking at my hat collection right now. It'd be my fifth West Michigan white cap hat. So anybody out there who's listening, who's in the West Michigan market, please know that my uh, sporting. I'm sporting. But yeah, I, I like like the San San Bernardino Cucuis. It's like a spooky guy in a hoodie, and uh, what is it? The Las Vegas one, Reyes de Plata de Las Vegas is a silver prospector who's like a skeleton. So I don't know. There are a lot of, and then I like there are several goofy ones that I also like. Uh, probably led by Lansing's. Either, either Lansing Locos, which is like a, a goofy-looking hawk, I guess. Yeah. And then what was the other one? There's a llama that it looks kind of silly. The llama's the, the hickory. So, I don't know. It's it's kind of a bummer describing these via audio medium. People should really go and check them out for themselves. But they are most of them are really uh, creative and fun, and that's what they're trying to do. And, and that's one of the cool things you – you can count on from minor league baseball. And I, I wonder if and when we might start seeing a lot more of this at the major league level. Where they do players weekend or whatever, but I could see some more themed. I mean, it's more money to be made, right? Oh, definitely. I was going to say that's, yeah, that's the reason why I'm surprised they haven't done this yet because of the, the tired cash grab. I mean, little Tigres, I mean, do you imagine doing a Tigres? I mean, they do the, the they already do the Hispanic oh, yeah. night. So in August, but why not do that? And look, the yeah. Well, by the way, we'll we'll post it when I do the posting for tomorrow. You you guys will see some of our favorites. Yeah. On there. Um. But yeah, the West Michigan. So it's there's gonna be 72 teams this year. So last year it was um, you know it was only like 30 or something. Yeah, it was very small. But the West Michigan one. Yeah. The the reason why I like that one too is because they were um and and one of our Twitter followers pointed this out too. They were able to port the 616, which is the area code out there, in there, and that's what makes it really really cool and. Yeah, and I think they also have the uh, – you can see the wave in there, too. Yeah. In the regular logo. Yeah, it's absolutely. Like, yeah, it's really well done. Yeah, and the other one, too, I did like, too, was – it was something that – it was it threw me back a little bit, but, um, but I definitely dug the way it was done was the uh, – and, and you and I were talking about that beforehand – was the fly swatters. The, uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, the Mat- Mat- uh, Matamal – 
Mogetas of man, I'm, you know, here I am. I speak the damn Matamoskas de Medesa. Yeah, I speak the damn language, but I think it's when I think about it so fast, it just for whatever reason I, mm-hmm. I have to slow it down. But mal mal de ho the the Durham El Durham Bulls, that's a good one too. So there's plenty of them out there. So yeah, we'll be posting our websites um, when I post the link up later, and you'll see some of our personal favorites. But uh, the Pianos definitely is gonna be on the list. I'm getting one of those hats. I'll definitely be getting the the West Michigan one for sure, no doubt. That's already been ordered, and the next one I'm probably gonna get on on the list. That's not a Tiger affiliate. Is probably the Demonis de Des Moines. Uh, the the uh, Des Moines one too was really cool. So my wife's gonna kill me. I I know it for a <laughs> fact. She's just gonna be like, "What do we do with all these hats?" So uh, hey man, yeah, we all gotta collect something. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So uh, moving on. Um, but, uh, we'll get, you know, uh, there is, uh, I'll probably talk about this on the good. Um, but, uh, let's start with the inside numbers. Chris, go ahead with your inside the number this evening. Uh, so I got a bunch of them here. They are 24, 28, 24, 27, and 25. Sounds like lottery um, numbers. What's that? Sounds lottery like, numbers? Yeah, yeah, sounds like lottery numbers. Uh, no, those are, uh, Fangraphs has begun their annual positional power rankings where they basically just break down every team and rate them position by position. And what I just described to you is the Tigers' ranks in catcher, first base, second base, third base, and left field. Uh, So they rank in the bottom uh, six or seven in all five of the the positions they've done so far. So you just hop aboard the sadness train. This is going to be a bad, bad year. Like, they're, they're best. Yeah. No, it's bad. They're 24th. 24th at first base with Miggy, projecting just 1.2 war for him. 28th at second base, which is actually, they pointed out, they're projecting Josh Harrison to put up like 1.3 war this year, mm-hmm. which is a two and a half war improvement over what they got last year from Dixon Machado and Dabo Lugo and whoever the hell else they played at second base. Um, and that's still 28th in baseball. <laughs> that's how bad they were last year. They're also 24th at third base with Candelario. I think we can um, hope for more. And he's still projected for 2.3 war. There's just not really much else there. Uh, but that's just a strong position in baseball right now. And then 27th at catcher, Grayson Griner projected for 1.2 war. And 25th in left field, Kristen Stewart is projected for one win above replacement. So, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be rough. I don't know if you hear that or not, Chris, but... Can you hear that, Chris? I heard a grunt or something. I'm playing Send in the Clowns from the Krusty oh, Kobat special. <laughs> oh, I know that you, you know, appreciate The Simpsons as much, so... You know who was in that episode, right? Bette Midler? And yes, Johnny also Luke Perry. Sideshow Luke Perry. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, Luke Perry. Forget about that. (laughs) One of the great visual gags in Simpsons history. Yeah, Yeah, uh, he's all ripped. Well, he gets shot out of a cannon and uh, goes through the wall and goes through a sandpaper factory and then goes through a bunch of jars (laughs) of acid. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. (laughs) And then he lands into a pillow factory and he's like, ah, this is good. And they paint out and it's, they're about to blow up the pillow factory. Yeah. You know, they press down on the TNT and it blow it up. (laughs) Uh, but either way, yeah, I just wanted to play that because it, 
just seems to be appropriate. But uh, speaking, of, by the way, though, Miguel Cabrera, however, is on the steamers projected. I don't know if you saw that or not, Chris. So that's somewhat positive. Did you see that? No, uh, wait. He's on what now? He's on the steamers, uh, the Fangraph steam steamers uh, list for six hundred at bats. Uh, oh, with the steamer six hundred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, were they normalizing? Well, I think part of this, I think part of this is they're projecting that he's going to get a fair amount of time at DH. So he's going to be better than 1.2 wins or whatever total. It's just that's what the, what they're going to get from him at first base. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like you know, nobody's projecting him to be more than just an average player this year, which I we could all see him easily surpassing that if he finds some former glory, but it also seems entirely plausible that he struggles and gets hurt again. Yeah, and if, if that if that's the case, the Tigers are kind of screwed at first place because they don't have any depth. I mean, if you put John Hicks there every day, good luck because we saw what happened last year, and that was uh, no bueno. So uh, either way, um, my number stems from first and foremost. So we have our the Tigers are evolving Tigers DM this week. So sliding with sliding our DMs, which inspires sometimes our questions, inspires our chat, and uh, RV. Talking, we talked about RVs this week, taking an RV trip mm-hmm. among yeah. us, which I thought was probably the best idea of all time. So, if you want to go start us a GoFundMe about getting us an RV to go to Erie to watch the Sea Wolves play and do a Tiger minor league tour, or pick up Keon. I mean, I would love to pick up Keon down in Columbus and uh, wear Michigan stuff just to piss him off. Then, by all means, <laughs> let's let's do that. Let's uh, let's start the uh, GoFundMe. And uh, I mean, they got a GoFundMe yeah. for that kid that was in New Zealand who uh, egged that douchebag. So. Uh, why not? Uh-huh. You know, there we go. But uh, so it stemmed from that. But mine also was stemming from the number. It's number fifty-nine, and that is how many players the Tigers have had that have had Tommy John surgery. And this is from uh, at MLB Player Analysis, and this is something you put in our chat. And of course, it's not exactly accurate because you pointed out earlier, Chris, before we started the show, that some of them pointed out when they had Tommy John surgery before they became a Tiger. So, but of those 59, 52 are pitchers, and the last Tiger pitcher to have it was just recently with Chris Smith. Um, so he was the Tiger minor league free agent who they signed. And in terms of position players across the board, it's been seven overall. The first Tiger to reportedly have uh, Tommy John surgery was left-hander Brian DeVoy. Or DeVoy. Yeah, I can't say his name right. Um, back in 1990, Kevin Ritz, who ended up being drafted by the Rockies, was a second Tiger. So for anybody out there with a name reference, but uh, either way, um, with Michael Foreman now entering that, uh, I guess, uh, quote unquote, holy realm there. Um, who was who was the last? Um, I don't know if you have the list with you yeah, right there. I don't want to put you on the spot, but yes, I do. Um, well, because like Chris Smith, I don't really. He was in minor league camp, but I don't really consider him like a Tigers pitcher. Who was the last? Tigers pitcher before him, Artie Lewicki. Lewicki, all right, that makes sense. Yeah, and then and then the Diamondbacks, I think, claimed him when the Tigers put him on, you know, took him off the forty man, right? Yeah, that's correct. And then right now, uh, so it was so Brian Garcia. So if you're talking about Tigers are still in camp right now, technically uh, among pitchers, Brian Garcia, Jason Foley, uh, position player wise, Derek Hill, who mm-hmm. it took him eleven months to recover. And so, again, and then in terms of who before the before joining the Tigers was uh, who was on with the Tiger Minor League tracker uh, Tarek uh, Scoble, 
who yeah that was a good interview from Keevan yeah Keevan what are they <laughs> Keenan Keenan yeah Keevan Ivory Wayans <laughs> Keenan Ivory Wayans Keenan did a really good job with that but yeah. uh, no overall it is a, it's a, it's a list and, and even what what what's fascinating about this too Chris in terms of the Tommy John part of it too and it'll, it'll, it'll come up again here shortly with in the good bad and ugly um, with Tommy John surgery and just figuring out the mystery of in- pitching injuries. And I think that, like, just that I want to I'll destroy, I think I'll destroy a little bit of that narrative about, oh, pitchers are not built like they used to be. So I'll, that's a preview for things to come. We'll talk about the Michael Fulmer injury here and the good, bad, and ugly. But, yeah, that's that's my number of the week. So, Chris, take it away for the good, bad, and ugly. Yeah, I just ripped through this pretty quickly. Uh, my good is Mike Trout. I don't know if we really need to talk about his $430 million extension, uh, but obviously that's pretty good. But I, I just one of my th- things I like to do is just to talk about how many uh, how many Hall of Famers he's already uh, surpassed in terms of career war. And I don't really have the number, but uh, he's, he's got 64.3 war to baseball reference in eight seasons, which is uh, – you remember, I think you, you technically have to play for 10 years to be eligible for the Hall of Fame. I don't think that's necessarily true. I'm sure special cases get in. But, uh, yeah, with two years left before he's eligible, he's already ahead of Dave Winfield, Harmon Killebrew, Vlad Guerrero, Yogi Berra, Mike Piazza, and about 40 more Hall of Famers. If he has another regular year this year, he's going to surpass Willie McCovey, Andre Dawson, Craig Biggio, Ryan Sandberg, Pudge Rodriguez, probably Miggy, Alan Trammell, Harry Heilman, and Derek Jeter. And that's in nine seasons. He's got... He's got a chance to to finish top ten all time in WAR. Um, he's basically people always say this. He's Mickey Mantle, basically, and uh, somewhere out in L.A. There's a little uh, baby Billy Crystal who's going to write plays about him one day. So <laughs> Mike Trout, he's very good. And then when they romanticize um, him, then it's actually for good reason. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's. I mean, I think when you look at the beginning of their careers, Mickey Mantle's was actually a little bit better than Trout. But Mantle basically fell off a cliff once he hit, like, what, 32, 33? I think all that drinking just did him in. Um, but, uh, so, yeah, my my bad is uh, we, we didn't really talk about this, and I, I feel like not a lot of people are. Baseball actually started today. Um, and it, it's kind of a cool thing. They, you know, they started in Japan. Ichiro's there. They got to do that. But the game was at 5.30 a.m. Eastern. So I don't think anybody was staying up to watch that, and, and I'm sure some people got up early to watch it, but that's not ideal. But it, it was played by two teams in the Pacific time zone, so that game started at 2.30 their time. I just I, It just seems really silly to me. I understand you're, you're playing in prime time in Japan, you're playing to the Japan, Japanese audience, you want to build a brand, but it feels like baseball's already pretty big in Japan, and it, you probably could have gotten a bunch of Japanese people to come to a game at, like, I don't know, 11 a.m., which would have been more like 10 o'clock here and 7 o'clock in the, uh, in the West Coast, which would have been totally normal and fine. And, and it just seemed like a weird thing. Uh, maybe they're doing it for the players to keep them on, on clock, but I just thought, it, I don't know, it just seemed kind of bad to me to, to do it that way. I feel like a lot of people missed, missed out on some baseball. Yeah, I mean, I, I woke up this morning and it was uh, I watched first pitch. I was well, not the first pitch I was watching. I think it was like the fourth or fifth inning because uh, Jed UK was tweeted about it. I'm like, oh crap! And then I started watching it while I was having coffee this morning. 
like you know, don't get me wrong, I'm all for live baseball 24 hours a day. It's just, it's I don't know. It just seemed like a way, a strange way to do it. Like you imagine the Tigers, they're instead of their first game of the year being at a normal time, it's at like 4:30 a.m. and they're playing a New Zealand or something like that. You're like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> I've got I've got a life and a job, but uh, yeah, whatever. And then my ugly. I think we had to talk about it eventually, is Michael Fulmer. I had him as the bad last week. I didn't predict that he was going to blow out his arm because only people who do the, are, the only people who do that are dickheads. Yeah. Um, and by the way, but, it, uh, I was going to say, let's, uh, or never, never mind, I'll wait. Go ahead. No, but it's it's just, uh, it's obviously, it's a huge shame. It's he, he was one of the few guys on this team with upside, worth watching. He's kind of a, either a key piece of the rebuild or a, uh, a key trade ship, and that's probably out of the window now. And, uh, you know, he, he just turned 26, so it's not the end of the world for him. And, and if you want to be an optimist, you can actually say, hey, maybe this is good for him. Maybe he can let his knees rest, which have been a huge problem, and he can get the arm fixed, and just a, just a year off will do him some good. And maybe he can come back strong and, and, and effective. I, uh, you know, I think the, the odds are when we talk about a number of different factors that, that can cause injuries, and one of them is previous injury. You know, the, if you, when you get injured once, you're more likely to get injured again. And so Fulmer's got a pretty extensive injury history now. So there's that, you know, sneaking suspicion that he might turn into Rich Harden, who was always, when he was healthy, he was really good. He was just never healthy. And, and you worry that's going to come. But I also, you know, I think back to, remember the Tigers took Michael Fulmer to arbitration? Yes. The first time they've done that with a player in, what, 20 years? That's correct. We all thought it was kind of odd. Like, why are they, you know, screwing him out of $600,000? Not necessarily screwing him, but, you know, why are they fighting over this? It's $600,000. Well, I mean, you can look at that as either like, well, that really sucks for Fulmer. That might have been his only good payday ever. But it also makes me wonder if the Tigers knew that his body was hanging on by a thread and they didn't want to pay him because of that. Um, you know, and I hate to be like a conspiracy theorist like that, but it seems kind of reasonable. You know, why why Fulmer? Why go go at it with him over what amounts to the salary of one re- replacement player? So... I don't know. It makes me kind of question what they're doing. And, and I am, uh, you know, there's a whole series of events that, that takes place when you're pitching. They, they, you people call it the kinetic chain or whatever, you know, where the energy is transferred from your legs all the way through your body and then to your arm and back to your legs or whatever. And I, I would say with like 95% certainty that him altering his mechanics because of his knee stuff, put more stress on his arm and led to this finally taking place or, you know, the final straw in his elbow. So I don't know. It's just all, uh, all unfortunate and kind of ugly the way it went down. We could hope that he's going to come back stronger, but it's a bummer. We're not going to see Fulmer throw a pitch again until 2020. You know what? And let's, I'll tie that in that, you know, our uglies were the same uh, with that. So what I wanted to tie and add to that, Chris, you're talking about overcompensation for your for your arm, overcompensating, I should say. You look at Mark Fidridge, Tiger Rookie of the Year pitcher. 
he mm-hmm. injured his knee in spring training, horsing around, and then he had to overcompensate, and as a result, it was never the same pitcher after that. So, but it what why I started looking up a little bit was injuries like in terms of excuse me, um, uh, players from you know the 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 past and and like the whole theory about uh, oh no they don't build them like they used to blah 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 and um. I pulled up an old, a couple of old articles, from one from 20 years ago from uh, Ronnie Jazari, uh, who is a nationally known writer who actually actually started writing here as well. Um, and they took the, he, he was looking at um, four-man rotations and versus five-man rotations, and also he was looking at uh, PAP, which is um, pitcher what's it the pitcher abuse pitcher abuse points. So, um, either way, but it was just, it was mentioning something else that, that's not really talked about, but, uh, you know, in terms of a grand scheme of things, just, you know, I just finished reading the book, uh, the year of the pitcher, which talked about Bob Gibson and the year that, uh, Danny McLean won 30 games. So after that, when the mom was lowered, Gibson talked about the effect it had on him, and then same thing with uh, McLean. But uh, but what this old article was brought up in Baseball Prospects was guys like, for example, Bob Feller, uh, after he turned 33, was never the same pitcher after that. Um, <laughs> but some guys were talking about, like, um, they couldn't even raise their arm to you know, comb their hair and what have you. So some of the data out there suggests that this has been out there for a long time. And then right now I know there is a software right now that's being sold by um, just, I believe it's, his name is uh, Justin Orndorff and it's delivery value system. Have you heard about this, Chris? I have not. So I'll send you the, the link. And so what it right. is, is a company that predicts MLB pitchers injuries. So, um, so it talks about what, and he was, of course, hired by the, let's see, um, I, I point, of course, you know, he, he's, he's, he was pitched, he pitched for the Dodgers, he was drafted by the Dodgers originally, and so what he's done is he's taken videos of the pitchers, loaded them in the software, makes objective measurements of their techniques. So, um, he used a statistics company to kind of build out the software. And they, the, the company started five years ago. It was in 2014. Um, it was created to, quote, light the current epidemic, epidemic of throwing-related injuries in the game of baseball. So last year, 72 MLB pitchers do suffer a major injury or wit surgery under a throwing arm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, he gave the, like, in terms of giving the, the national software to determine the probability of Steven Spalsberg getting uh, hurt in future innings. So it's, this continues the stat-driven thing about baseball, but I'm I'm intrigued to see how accurate this is going to work. But, yeah, I'll, I'll send in the link to it. But uh, that is something that could provide valuable, and hopefully the Tigers jump on board with this quickly. As, you know, history has proven, they take a little while to get on these things. But uh, they have that kind of data out there, Chris, to be accurate. And, I mean, you look at, like, it reminds me of a CAD design or something like that where you put something in and, and see how it can be shaped and everything, it could be potential for how an arm could be literally shaped. Mm-hmm. So. Interesting. But uh, my good, so I want to start with the good, and that's the Houston Astros and doing things that they are able to do. Ryan Presley, 
who was traded from the Twins last year to the Astros. They, they announced this. They gave him a two-year deal, and he will be getting uh, $17.5 million. And really, I mean, like, you saw him last year struggle in Minnesota, but, of course, the, twin, the Astros doing what they do and talked about a spin rate. And they were able to um, spin rate operation. And he went from, like, and Van Graaff did a really good job of highlighting the fact that he was able to throw a spin very well. And um, it mentioned a little, little bit that uh, essentially what they were able to do was is that have that high spin fastball and allow that to be what turned out his numbers last year because he was really solid from the last two months of the season. So, again, Houston identifying something and be able to turn it around and, and, and to get their advantage. Yeah. So, uh, the bad, and I, it, it's bad in a way, and, and this is where teams are starting to get ahead in the sense of uh, leaving, whether you want to say leaving money on the table or not, but uh, extensions. So, Brandon Lowe, Signed an extension. Alex Berman signed an extension with the Astros. And then uh, Jimenez signed an extension with the White Sox. And Jimenez is not even, keep in mind, he's not even batted yet. With the, with the White Sox, has not had a major league at bat yet. Um, but this is bad in a sense that uh, you can look at it two different ways. It could be good because they're protecting themselves from potential strike. Bad in a sense that you're not going to have a really large free agent class here in a few years or so with these teams locking up, but it's starting a trend among player among teams that they're just going to try to keep them as cheap as possible. Yeah, you know, it, it goes both ways, I guess. Somebody like Bregman, you know, I, I think he got a pretty pretty good deal there. What did he get, $100 million, something like that? Yeah. Uh, he may have been able to make more on, you know, in arbitration and on the open market. But like uh, Eloy Jimenez, remember last year the Phillies – uh, Scott Kingery had a really good spring training, and the Phillies signed him to like a six-year deal. Uh, it was $24 million, nothing crazy, but certainly more than he was going to make uh, unless he went absolutely nuts, more than he was going to make in his first six years. And then he went out and had an awful year for the Phillies. And then this offseason, they would go and trade for Gene Segura, and suddenly, like, you know, it's not entirely clear where he's going to play or if he's going to play. And it's, it's like, you know, if he hadn't signed that contract last year, he'd still be making 500,000 and he might never, ever get paid. If he, if what he proved or showed last year is actually what he's going to be as a major league player, then he made a smart decision. So yeah, it, it's kind of an interesting, interesting way to do it. Teams are, teams are saving money if the players are good and they're making investments that aren't going to cripple them if the players are bad and players are, uh, you know, kind of protecting themselves, like you said, in case there's a strike or in case things don't work out. But uh, I do agree that, that it's not ideal. Ideally, these players would be getting paid what they're worth. But, uh, you know, as of right now, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, the Twins, I mean, the Twins also did with Max Kepler, which we'll ask stuff about here shortly. Uh, so... That's something that, and I think Jorge Polanco too, as well. So, yep. so they're the Twins are jumping aboard with that. But the if you look at the Tigers, like you look down down the line, it's crickets because they really don't have anybody that they could sign, perhaps long term. Well, 
Yeah, and other teams did this. I think, you know, the White Sox did this with a bunch of their players back in the, you know, when they had all that talent that they ended up trading away. But as as far as I can remember, the Tigers have never done this. No. Never locked up a young player to a long-term deal or, you know, bought out his arbitration years or anything like that. And like you said, I wouldn't want to see him do it with anybody right now, but maybe we'll see it coming in a couple years. Yeah, I mean, historically speaking, the Tigers were always kind of like waiting to the last minute. Look at the uh, days of Kirk Gibson, Jack Morris, who, of course, they were part of that whole collusion thing, you know. And then you go back even even further than that, a little or a little, uh, excuse me, later later than that in the '90s and Millennium. I can't think of anybody they were trying to lock up long term. That uh, they were trying. I mean, of course, the Max Scherzer thing, but then really, he wasn't technically a a, 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 a homegrown prospect. So, yeah, come to think of the Tigers' history with this is maybe less than a less than a paragraph, I, I guess. I mean, there's not really anybody I, I, I can think of off the top of my mind. Anybody they wanted to sign long term kind of reviews. I mean, Juan Encarnacion after the whole plane incident in the late '90s and with the whole Jeff Weaver, Bobby Higginson thing, wanted out of here and. There's a lot of players who wanted out of here at that period of time. So, but uh, yeah, it's especially for a guy like Whit. I, I understand what why why Whit Mitterfield did what he did, especially in a market like Kansas City that's gonna be starving for stars and they're gonna be kind of irrelevant for a while. I understand Kansas City. That was a, it was a smart move by them, but for Berman, that's that's a smart move for the Astros too, considering that across the board their their system is so deep. But in terms of infield talent, they seem a, they lack a little bit there, Chris. Yeah, they've got some some guys in the lower minors like Freitas Nova, um, but yeah, if there's a if there's I guess if there's a weakness, it is kind of along the infield prospects, at least I can think of right now. But yeah, I, mean, they they, I wouldn't worry too much about it with Bregman and Correa in Altuve. Yeah, not with that. Yeah, one of the best infields you have seen in the last thirty years, honestly. So uh, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be back. We're gonna bring, we're gonna talk to Sestros from Twins Daily, talk some Twins baseball. What is our outlook for 2019? Max Kepler talk, maybe talk about Chris's cousin in law. Is it cousin in law? <laughs> is that uh, would it be yeah. phrased, phrased correctly? Uh, yeah, it's my wife's cousin. That's yeah. what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, your wife's cousin. You listen to Tigers SRD on SportsRadioDetroit.com, powered by the Overtime Media Network. We'll be back after the break. Three, two, one. And welcome back to Tigers SRD. We are joined by Seth Stowes of Twins Daily to talk about the Twins. Seth, how are you doing? Doing great. How are you guys doing tonight? Not bad. I appreciate you joining us. So, uh, of course. Yeah, we, we've we've kind of discussed some other teams in the Central. We we talked about the Indians. Um, one of the main themes that we talked about this year was was it seemed like nobody in the Central is trying, except maybe the Twins. Uh, even the Indians don't appear to be trying that hard. So I'm, I'm curious what, what your view is about the overall offseason so far for the Twins. Well, it's been interesting. It's been uh, – it's kind of corresponded with the entire uh, free agency throughout the league. I mean, it, it 
you know, they made a few moves early and then it was like, is that it? Are they done? Are they done making moves? And then as spring training started, we, you know, saw them sign Marwin Gonzalez. And that's obviously been a nice piece. Uh, they got Nelson Cruz. They got Jonathan Scope. Um, CJ Crone was a nice guy to be able to pick up off of a waiver claim after he had 30 home runs last year. Uh, the question mark for the Twins is going to continue to be pitching, though. Uh, they added Blake Parker in the bullpen, which certainly isn't going to strike fear in opponents, but at the same time, it's a nice signing. And Martin Perez, we all wondered about, but suddenly now he's hitting 96 and 97, and we're wondering uh, maybe, maybe he's going to give us a chance. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the pitching, and specifically yeah, the Martin Perez thing is really interesting. It's I, You know, the Twins kind of revamped the front office was it two years ago yes uh well three and i'm curious if if and it was kind of a lot of you know modern analytic guys as i I believe i'm curious if they're going to become one of these teams that suddenly finds we were just talking about this earlier in the show teams that suddenly find uh extra velocity for pitchers you know by tweaking some mechanics or some biomechanical stuff so that'll be definitely uh very interesting to watch yeah, I mean, Martin Perez has always been a good prospect. I mean, people have heard about him. I think he was a top 10, top 20 guy nationally uh, for a long time with the Rangers. And the Twins' new GM uh, as of three years ago was Tad Levine, who came over from the Rangers organization. Derek Falvey came from Cleveland, and he's kind of known as a pitching guy. He's really helped uh, develop that rotation that they've got. So uh, combine those things, plus they added Wes Johnson as their pitching coach this year. and. He's was he coming from Mississippi State, rules. or yeah, he was actually I think at Arkansas last oh, year, but he had previously been at Mississippi State. I know in the last few years, so he's kind of known as a velocity guy and increasing velocity, and and I know it's a it's a focus throughout the system. They had camps for minor leaguers throughout the off season, uh, specifically designed to help increase velocity. So it's definitely something that as an organization they're they're focusing on. Yeah, especially because well, you, know, you talked about the, the velocity factor. The Twins, in the last 15, 20 years beforehand, really were were, were known for pitching to contact, correct? So this is kind of a, a new philosophy that just to get the strikeouts up and, and, and just kind of – I've always thought of the Twins. I always think of just those, you know, Brad Ranke and, and some of those pitchers that just really were – Really good at spot, you know, spot spotting the strike zone, but nothing out, no outrageous strikeout numbers outside of uh, Johan's uh, Santana. Yeah, I mean, I, I had some interesting discussions with some of the people, uh, you know, just fans down on the minor league side, down at spring training in Fort Myers last week when I was there, uh, about that very topic, and and I I kind of think it's interesting because pitch to contact became a phrase, but at the same time it was. You know, they wanted to throw strikes. They wanted to get ahead. They wanted weak contact. They didn't want pitch to the middle of the plate and see how far they can hit it. Uh, Brad Radke was a great example of a guy that was successful doing what he did. He got ahead. He had a really, you know, great control of command on his fastball, and he had a tremendous changeup. That was it. He didn't even have a third pitch. But it was as if the team just tried to clone him with pitchers over the next decade, and you know Radke is more an exam or uh, an exception than the rule. Even Johan Santana threw a ton of strikes. It was just that his stuff was so nasty that people couldn't even hit the strikes that he threw. So um, you know another example where you know in reality he was probably trying to pitch to contact in the sense that he was getting ahead and throwing strikes. His stuff was just so good that you know the hitters couldn't hit it. 
So, so yeah, let's talk about the rotation a little bit because they still have like the top three guys from last year, right? They still have Odorizzi, mm-hmm. Gibson, and, and Barrios. Are we yeah. looking at Pineda as number four, or is there somebody that I've forgotten about? No, no, I would say Michael Pineda is number four, and Perez will be number five. I think he was told in the last couple of days that he probably won't make a start until mid-April just because of all the off days that he'll work out of the bullpen. But Pineda will be the four. Um, there's a decent chance that, you know, if he can't go, say, five innings, Perez may be a, uh, a guy that piggybacks with him or something like that. But I would say the Twins fans should generally be excited about Barrios, who made his first all-star appearance last year. I think he was 23 or 24 last year. So, you know, there's uh, hope and a possibility he continues to get better. Kyle Gibson seemed to figure out something late in the 2017 season, and it carried into the 2018 season when he had his best season of his career. He was so consistent, something he had never been, or at least not consistently good. Uh, so that's encouraging. And he, Jake Odorizzi has a chance to be okay, uh, you know. I think there's hope that he'll be better than last year. He really, really struggled once he got through the third time or through the second time in the order. That third time through really came back to bite him, and and he struggled to get through five, even six innings a lot of the time. And then so after that, I mean, is there still any? You know, I haven't paid a ton of attention, so forgive me if like these guys have already been booted to minor league camp or whatever. Is 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 there any hope for Mejia or Romero still? Uh, both both have a good chance of making the roster. Mejia is out of options, and they already moved him to the bullpen. Uh, Fernando Romero, they moved him to the bullpen pretty much the first couple days of spring training. Um, he's got an option left, and I wouldn't be surprised, especially early in the year, if he goes down to Rochester, just works for a few weeks out of the bullpen, especially while Perez is in the bullpen uh, for the big league club. But I think we'll see Fernando Romero come up and, and uh, I mean, he can be a he can be a real weapon out of the bullpen with his stuff. Yeah, I think that was he was kind of always kind of projected that way. Anyway, I'm just kind of curious, uh, not not following him day in and day out like you do. Uh, you know, we have our own discussions here about which Tigers prospects need to get moved to the bullpen. So I assume it goes on in every city, but I didn't know what uh, who had already been relegated there. So. Well- in, in, right, and and it's interesting because I think if you talk to a lot of Twins fans, you know, Fernando Romero is a guy that I think most would like to see continue to be a starter uh, just because I think the value of him throwing 150 innings versus 70 innings is is uh, noticeable, I would think, over the course of a year. But at the same time, because he only has one option left, because they do have five starters, because they still have Cole Stewart and – Zach Littell and Steven Gonsalves and Lewis Thorpe, who will all start the season at AAA as starters, they do have starter depth. And frankly, this team needs bullpen help. And and, uh, Mejia and Romero can be guys that could be very good, like I said, weapons out of the bullpen. So speaking of, you talk about uh, Lewis Thorpe down in uh, AAA. Who else in terms of six or seven starters, if you will, that could come up and make an impact do the Twins have that, you know, you talk about uh, right now, I know he's a little far away, but Johan Duran is a name that excites a lot of people because we're talking, uh, there's a, among our Twitter chat about tall tall pitchers and Duran six 6'5". So what do the Twins have at 6 or 7 that could come up and, and perhaps help out the team in case of an injury? Yeah, and it's those guys at AAA, and a lot of them did make their debuts last year. Cole Stewart was called up in mid-August, and he actually did all right, especially when they did the opener with him. Uh, Steven Gonsalves has been a top prospect, a top 100 guy. 
uh, at times. He came up and definitely struggled, but, uh, you know, came on a little bit better at the end of the year. Um, so those two would probably be the first two. Zach Littell is the guy they acquired from the Yankees a couple of years ago. He debuted briefly last year. Uh, again, all these guys are probably, you know, number four potential starters, um, mid to back end of rotation. But for the Twins and the fans, I think the fact that they have those guys as their, you know, six, seven, eight, and again, Lewis Thorpe probably has more potential than, than that whole group. Uh, at nine, there's nine guys that I think they could let make starts who they can feel okay about. You know, obviously you don't want to see your starters go down, but at the same time, it's it's so much better than some of these starters that Twins fans had to endure over the course of the last decade or so. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting. You know, when you look at the farm system, it seems like most of the talent is kind of in A ball. A couple guys have have peaked up in double A, but then you've got, like you said, all those guys who who debuted last year who can provide much needed depth this year. I'm kind of curious if there's anybody else you think might uh, might pop up from the minors this year, maybe who hasn't debuted yet? Yeah, I don't I don't know that we'll see that from the pitching side uh, other than Thorpe. I know he hasn't debuted. One name to think about is they got uh, Jorge Alcala from the Astros in the Ryan Presley deal. He pitched uh, a little bit at double-A last year. Actually, I think the full year at double-A last year, and I think that's where he'll start. But if he has a strong year, he's got big-time stuff. I mean, He's hit triple digits in the past. And you mentioned uh, Joan Duran. And, uh, I mean, he is. He's a big guy. <laughs> I saw him pitch a little bit in the bullpen. He's got a chance um, as far as pitching goes. Uh, you know, but there's, there's, you know, the offensive side, they hopefully won't need as much because they added a few. But Nick Gordon's still a possibility to debut this year. Lamont Wade's a name that probably gets uh, underappreciated for all the different things he can do as an outfielder. Um, there are some good prospects, but at the same time, um, you know, it, it's all, when it comes to prospects, it's all about Alex Kirilov, Royce Lewis, and Bruce Dar Gratterall because they're going to get 95% of the attention from prospect people, and and rightfully so. They're all tremendous. Yeah, it's it's uh, an envious group to have uh, right there with that sort of talent and, you know, the different positions that you got there. Um, I was – We'll probably talk a little bit more about the, the prospects, but I did want to just get gauge uh, a little optimism, pessimism thing here. Uh, how optimistic are you about Byron Buxton? And conversely, how pessimistic are you about Miguel Sano? <laughs> I mean, in both cases, I'm, I'm actually fairly optimistic. I think for me, Buxton just needs to get off to a fast start this year. In, in every year that he's played in the big leagues and he's started the season in the big leagues, he's really started out slow. And of course, then it becomes a topic unto itself. And last year he was hurt the entire year, um, you know, really starting in mid April and just was never able to rebound from that. If he's healthy, I mean, he's so immensely talented that he should be able to put up some halfway decent numbers. And frankly, even if he just puts up league average or slightly below league average numbers, he's immensely valuable just because of the defense and what that does for the pitching staff. As far as Sano, I mean, man, he put in the work this offseason. He put in the time. He lost a bunch of weight. Uh, he played in the Dominican Winter League and actually won a championship, and that's where he got hurt, um, you know, injured uh, heel, and he ended up needing surgery. So he's going to miss the first four to six weeks of the season, which is really unfortunate because, like I said, when the guy puts in the work, you'd like to see him be able to reap the rewards. 
Uh, but now he's missed spring training and he'll miss a few more weeks. And, you know, it's just, just not a great start. I mean, you just, at this point you feel bad for him a little bit, but at the same time, that's the way it goes. I mean, every team deals with it at some point. Yeah, for sure. That's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's been a weird couple of years uh, for the twins, just watching from afar in terms of their, suddenly competitive and then you expect things from them and then not so much. And then they, they repeat the cycle, but it really does. I've heard from more than a few people about say, Hey, you know, watch out for the twins this year. Don't, don't sleep on the twins making the playoffs. Um, I wonder how's the, how's the outlook around uh, twins fandom? I mean, it's interesting. You're absolutely right because in 2015, they surprised a lot of people by being in contention and not eliminated till the final weekend. And in 2016, they lost over 100 games. And then 2017, they actually made the playoffs. And then last year again, they were terrible. So I think there is an optimism among this team. It, it finished with 78 wins last year, um, and it really they really played better late in the season when they started playing some of these other guys. They did make some good additions. So I think there's an optimism that this can be a very competitive, very good team, but that optimism generally is in that 83 to 86 win range, so a better than 500. But the tough thing is, is you basically know the Yankees and Red Sox are getting in the playoffs, Houston's getting in the playoffs, and Cleveland's probably getting in the playoffs for out of the AL Central. So basically you're down to one more team getting in. So that's the Twins, Angels, um, maybe the Mariners, no, probably not the Mariners. Um, I'm sure I'm missing some obvious team there, but, uh, maybe the Rays even again. So I think there's an optimism, but there's also a reality that those four teams are kind of head and shoulders above the rest of the league. Yeah. But I mean, to be optimistic and or be realistic is, is totally feasible, but you, stranger things have happened. But in terms of, you look at the season last year, the Minnesota had, comparatively speaking, to Cleveland. And Cleveland, you know, they they felt that they didn't have to make any changes because of every other team in the division. But recently there was an article in The Ringer that Chris and I talked about this last week where it was Cleveland versus a team of uh, M- the rest of the division all-stars. And there was a lot of team, there was a lot of players from the Twins that bode well. But the future is bright um, with Royce Lewis, who talked about with uh, Alex uh, Kurhoff, Kurhoff, excuse me. But... Um, I, here's here's my here's my take, and I, I, Chris and I have talked about this. I think the Twins, 85 possibly 90 wins, based off the fact that, and that's a bold statement. I know that sounds like a bold statement, but um, my my particular favorite signing was Nelson Cruz. He has hit very well in at target at, at target field. What are fans excited about him more, or are they excited more about uh, Gonzalez? Oh, for sure. Well, I guess I shouldn't say for sure. I think they're more excited about Cruz just because of the power. I think most fans are excited about Gonzalez just because they actually went out and spent something they didn't necessarily need at the time, though, of course, with Sano's injury, it's you know obviously proven to be a really good signing. Gonzalez had one really great year. That was 2017 when he posted uh, OPS over 900. The other years, he's about a 700 OPS guy. So, I mean, he's nothing to get too excited about. Cruz is a monster. Man, that guy, um, I mean, he's a, you can count on him for about an 820 to 900 OPS every year with 30 to 40 home runs. And so, yeah, there's definitely an excitement about that. Um, even CJ Crone had 30 home runs last year in Tampa, which obviously is 
generally happening happening against some of the best teams in baseball. And I think the other theme for Twins fans is just this hope that players can get back to a previous level, and that includes Jonathan Scope, who they picked up on a one-year deal, who was an MVP candidate. I mean, not a high MVP candidate, but you know he was uh, amazing in 2017. So if he can bump back to that level, Buxton got MVP MVP votes in 2017. Sano is a all-star in 2017. Um, you know, all these things can happen. There's, there's, that's where the optimism lies. And, and uh, we talked previous to, to the show a little bit about guys like uh, Max Kepler and Jorge Polanco, who they've now signed to the next to contracts for the next five to eight years. Um, those are two guys that I think if they can take that next step, which I think the twins have shown that they believe they can. And I certainly believe that both of them can. There's two more guys that can, that have room to improve. So that's how you go from 78 wins to theoretically 90 or 92 wins. And maybe a playoff spot is by several of those guys jumping back to previous levels or taking that next step. So um, you know, but I think Nelson Cruz is a big part of that. And as much for his uh, leadership as it is for the home runs and, and production, but obviously that's what's going to help win ball games. And uh, yeah, I had one more player I was going to ask you about. You might be able to guess just by the tone of my voice. Um, but uh, this is a guy that I've actually kind of followed for years because of the ridiculous things he was doing in the minor leagues. But uh, Williams Estudio. Uh, I didn't. I didn't think he was ever going to get to the majors, just because it was such a weird profile. But then he came up, and he was actually he was pretty good. Like I, I don't know, people seem to just absolutely love him. I mean, he was he was terrific um, in September, uh, particularly. I think he got recalled back in uh, mid to late August. He was he was terrific, and he finally got a chance to just kind of play most every day, um, whether it's catching or third base or second base or. I know he played a game in left and he played a game in center and uh, DHing or whatever it was, but you're right. He's such a unique player in the fact that he just doesn't walk and he doesn't strike out. He goes up there hacking and puts the ball in play. And a lot of times so far things have gone really well when he does that. I'm, I'm not as optimistic on him as I think most twins fans, most twins fans think he's the, you know, the second coming of, Kirby pocket type of a player, you know, and I think, I think they might need to hold their horses a little bit. He frankly doesn't have a real good defensive position and you know, he's probably more of a 24th, 25th man. But I mean, as long as he produces, you got to keep playing with him. And like you said, the, the, the profile is so unique that I don't know if even um, people that try to estimate or project what players will do are, I don't think they're even sure what to do with him. So Man, he's definitely one of the most intriguing players probably in all of baseball as it relates to 2019. Yeah, for people who, who don't might not know who he is, I was just looking at his, his career minor league stats. He, uh, he's a 306 hitter. In 2,265 at-bats, he has 85 walks and 81 strikeouts, which is it's like a 2% Crazy. walk rate and a 2% strikeout rate. Like It's just mm-hmm. absolutely absurd. It's there's I can't think of anybody. This is like an old time baseball player who was who was hitting you know 75 mile an hour fastballs where they just put everything in play. Um, Not to mention he yeah, has so, the, he has the best hair. I, I just have that forever oh. the image of him running. Uh, I think it was over third base where he just like you see him just giving it all. It looks like he's gonna fall over, uh, and I mean that in a good way, not a bad way, but just yeah, yeah he just yeah. he's a bowling ball. Yeah, 
Yeah, well so, I mean, he looks like me, fun. which typically isn't a good thing for a baseball player, you know. <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, I, I can tell you, again, from being in the clubhouse the past week or so, you can see that teammates love him. He's joking. He's laughing. He's, he's uh, you know, going after guys. I think he and Jose Barrios have a fantastic relationship. And, uh, you, you know, I mean, Rocco Baldelli talked numerous times that, you know, he's just the kind of guy you like to be around. So, I mean, all that put together, and it's hard to envision a situation where he probably doesn't make the roster, whether it's deserved or not. I mean, he'd be. We, I remember even pitched last year. Uh, one game was a blowout game against, I think, the Rays. <laughs> right. Yeah, so he's he's all over the place. But uh, so one last question, and we didn't get a chance to talk about this last year, and I, I regretted it, but I wanted to ask you anyways because I follow you on Twitter and do a good job of talking outside of baseball, just other subjects. But I gotta ask you. So Minnesota's known for hockey, of course. We all, it's pretty obvious they're big hockey culture. High school hockey's <laughs> king over there. But uh, what yeah. to me, what I know from Minnesota a lot of is music and a lot of the things that. You know, of course, people may know that Prince is from Minnesota, the replacements as well. But there's some other bands in Minnesota that I particularly, you know, a fan of, like 80s Soul Asylum, which is, by the way, way better than anything they did in the 90s, in my opinion, at least. Uh, Husker Du, Marcy's Playground, which people do not know, or may or may not know, was from Minnesota. And they the, the name actually comes from a school in Minnesota. But I got to ask... I mean, there's the suburbs, of course, if you want to get all technically uh, hipster about it. But uh, what are some of your favorite bands from your home state? Because there's, there's so much good talent out there that I think is often overlooked. And to me, there's just, it, 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 I think it's understated. Because Detroit gets always, we have our gra- you know, garage scene and everything. Hell, even Semi-Sonic, something like, people for Semi-Sonic, I mean, I know they're more of a polished band. But what are some of the, some of the bands that you, you're into from your home state that you take pride in? <laughs> well, as a not very smart music person, uh, we do have Prince, like you said. I was a big fan of the Jets when I was uh, a kid. Yes. I know they were a group that yes. that had some Minnesota connections. So you got it all. Um, <laughs> that's, that's right. I could almost I almost started singing there, but that may have uh, turned people away before they even started listening. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, there's like you said, there's just a bunch, and I mean, it all starts and ends with with. Uh, um, with Prince, uh, you know, after he passed, uh, my sister lives fairly close to where he, where Paisley Park is, and you know, it was just incredible to walk by there. Uh, we'd take the dog for the for a walk when I went and visited, and I mean, just seeing all the banners and the posters and the chalk drawings and everything along there, uh, you know, it was really touching, and you could tell what kind of impression he left on so many people. Um, you know, the, I guess the only other one I'd tout is my fellow Twins Daily writer, uh, Nick Nelson, uh, just dropped an album uh, under the pseudonym uh, Nickel Nelly. So I definitely <laughs> encourage people to, to to check that out if you're interested in, in a little bit of rap, if, if you're into that. So uh, that's probably about as much as I know. You just rolled off a whole bunch, and I don't even know all of those. So, <laughs> Well, it's you know, my favorite uh, my favorite rap group probably in rap uh, label is from Minneapolis uh, rhyme stairs which is uh you know their, their lead group is atmosphere and they've uh you know they've been doing underground rap basically for 25 years now to the point where they have one of the largest hip-hop fe- hip-hop festivals every year uh, largest in the country every year on, on Memorial Day um, so that that's a pretty cool yeah. scene there and they've always mentioned bands like like lifter puller 
in the Dillinger three or the Dillinger four or something like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I once went out uh, to Minnesota in 1999 and I was excited to go out there to see, see atmosphere. Like I said, but I went out there with my dad for a Nordic music festival where oh, wow. all these, uh, all these Nordic music groups were coming in from, you know, Sweden and Finland and Norway and stuff like that. And it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a really strong music scene for just about everything out there in Minneapolis. Minneapolis is a, uh, it's a really cool city. Yeah, definitely. You know, I I, I personally live in Hockey Town, USA, which is up in the Canadian border of Warroad, Minnesota. But, um, you know, I used to live in I lived in the Twin Cities for about four years, and it was just amazing all the possibilities and things that can be done. I mean, there's the the major sports, there's minor sports, there's college sports, there's music, there's uh, you know, I mean, clubs, all that kind of stuff, and there's just so many things to do there's parks in the middle of the city where you can go and don't even realize you're in a city i mean it's just it's it's a it's a great place absolutely yeah and uh again if you're if you're interested in anything twins go to twinsdaily.com he was out on spring training uh does a great job with twins daily it's it's a fantastic uh work out there and and able to do the prospects and, and talk on the radio and talk so eloquently about it and, and he knows the stuff so if you follow him at twitter at seth tweets um good stuff as always we appreciate your time and yeah again the music question was just something i was thinking about just i don't know uh i tend to go on these uh chris and i've talked about this before just the music scene but uh to know full well there's other acts out there besides prince representing the scene so uh, we appreciate your time seth anytime guys thanks for having me on thanks again